Hi, everybody. Thanks again for joining us today for another PR Masters podcast. I'm Art Stevens, your host, and it's my pleasure to bring to you the legends and leaders in the public relations industry. Today is PR podcast number 57, PR Masters podcast number 57. How about that? And we have a very special guest for you today. You know, our PR Masters have been really surprisingly candid during the course of these podcasts. They shared their viewpoints on how to succeed in public relations and rise to the top. And I hope that you've all learned something from these talented people that will help you in your own careers. I know I have. So let's get on with today's PR master. He is Brad McAfee. You probably remember him as the CEO of Porter Novelli, and now he is the founder and CEO of Mission Plus Cause. I'm very pleased to have Brad with us because he is uh, one of the best-known CEOs of one of the largest public relations firms in the world as his prior gig. Brad is the strategist and pioneer of people-first transformation. This is what he's done all his career. He builds profitable, socially responsible brands to maximize positive impact on the world. And at MAC Talent, which is something he's going to tell us about, of course, He's committed to immersing himself in the client perspective for each search. You, you will learn that uh, M Plus Cause is really a talent transformation firm that works with many organizations, including, of course, public relations. But as the former CEO of Porter Novelli, Brad has a long history of hiring and retaining the best people in the industry. And his passion is attracting, growing, and retaining talent and he's been involved in the hiring of hundreds of executives in both agency and corporate environments. Brad has received a long list of awards for which he credits the talented practitioners who always seem to surround him, even to this day. And so he's been winning awards from PR Week, PR Week as the best place to work when he was with Porter Nobelli, to CR Magazine, CEO of the Year. He's no stranger to accolades and his recognition for his bold and his transparent approach. He holds very, numerous board roles, including board president of the Global, Global Impact Relations Network, executive committee member and former president of the Board of Trustees of the University of Georgia Grady College. He's a member of the board of Lagrant Foundation, and he's got additional roles with Junior Achievement of Georgia PR Council, Center for the Visually Impaired, and Jack and Jill Late Stage Cancer Foundation. Brad grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, and he relocated to Atlanta after graduating from Indiana University. And he and his wife, Nicole, and their two daughters share their time between Atlanta and New York City. I'm very, very, very pleased to welcome Brad McAfee as today's PR master. Brad, how are you today? And welcome. Well, thank you, Art, and thank you very much for the introduction. I'm doing great, and I hope you are as well. Thank you. Thank you. As I said in our introductory call a few moments before this uh, podcast, I've known your name for so many years when I was in the agency uh, business myself, and we've never had the pleasure to meet, but this is now an opportunity for us to meet via the PR Masters podcast. And so welcome aboard. It's really great to have you with us. Thank you very much. And it, it seems odd that we haven't met uh, across all those years because, like we were talking about, our names have intersected. Uh, opportunities have intersected several times. So I look forward to seeing you in person someday soon. You're on. You're on, Brad. So here, I got a, some questions for you, of course. And the first one is, Brad, that you've been the CEO of a major agency, of course, Porter Novelli. We all know Porter Novelli. 
Would you mind telling our listeners how you got into public relations to begin with and how you managed to climb the corporate or, or should I say the agency ladder to tackle becoming the head of one of the top agencies in the world? Uh, sure. Uh, thanks. It, you know, it was interesting. When I was in college in, at, at university, I, I took a speech communications course and, and I su- did surprisingly well without a lot of effort. And I, I went then on a mission to say, well, what could I do with that? Right. You know, what can I do in communications? I really didn't know. I, I didn't have that knowledge of what types of roles or positions. I grew up in a a household with very blue collar, and, and so I didn't have many, you know, openings to kind of see what what types of corporate positions would be out there. So I went searching, and, and I bring this story up, not to make it longer, but because I think some of your listeners will appreciate this. I went and purchased the book by um, Bob Dylan Schneider, mm. who at the time we was the CEO of Hill and Knowlton, and, and the book was called Power and Influence. And I, I'm telling you, it was probably the fastest um, book I've read. I, I mean, I read it cover to cover, and I was I was hooked. There was one story after another of, of this communications profession called public relations and stories of engaging with various different clients and, and the type of campaigns that were being run. And, and when I, com- I completed it, I said, that's what I want to do. And I, I finished my schooling at Indiana University with telecommunications that really focused on the communication side and the, and, and the uh, speech side and the journalism side and, and kind of took it from there. Just curious, does Bob Dylan Schneider uh, know about this? I, <laughs> Have you ever spoken you know, to him about it? I have not. I, I, you know, definitely wanted to. I tried to reach out to him a couple times, and 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 it just it didn't it didn't work out. But interesting, another in my opinion, complete legend that you know, if Bob Dylan Schneider, you know, influenced me to get into PR, the person who confirmed that I was going into the right profession was Rich Dernstead. and so oh, we were yeah. on a one of these school trips, you know, that you see colleges do, and we went up to Chicago. And, uh, you know, they were divvying up people of which agency everyone was going to get to go to. And, you know, my fingers were crossed that I was going to get Hill and Moulton because maybe I'd, I'd be able to, to, to meet this, this, this person who had written this book and, or maybe Burson Marstar. But instead, I got, I got Golan Harris. And, and mm. I didn't know anything about Golan Harris at the time. And this very young CEO, Rich Dernstead, walked into it and, and just told one story after another. And, and I, not, I knew exactly, not only did I want to be in communications, but I wanted to, to go into an agency as a result. And what's a fun story about that is I was able to tell Rich that story several years later. It was um, July 1st, I think it was 2010, as Rich was very kind to lend some some support to the Chicago office of Porter Novelli, and I sat across from him and I told him the story. And for me, that was meaningful because, you know, he never knew how much of an influence he had where my career started. Well, you, you certainly have two heroes, <laughs> and, and I'm sure you have more. But here, here's, a, here's a direct question. You know, you had a very successful career at uh, Porter Novelli. What made you leave? And uh, was it to do what you're now doing, or were there like interim things you did before forming your present company? Well, Art, my decision to leave wasn't my decision. So, so just to kind of start there, and but I'm really glad that you asked it 
because, quite frankly, even though I would not have wanted to leave Porto Novelli, that wasn't what what I had planned for. It ended up turning out all right, you know. And one of those things that sometimes happens, I think, you know, for me in particular, I thought my identity and everything was so connected, so deeply rooted and grounded in in this foundation of this position I had in this job that I had worked uh, for nearly 20 years at Porter Novelli being in that agency. But as it turned turned out, the next day, the sun, you know, it still came up and, and everything was was still okay. And, and I, I only share that because I think, you know, there are setbacks in careers or, you know, sidesteps or, or whatever may, may come about. And I would really wish for anyone to have the, the good fortune that I did because, you know, the folks at Porter Novelli and Omnicom treated me well. And I, I had that ability to kind of really consider, take a pause and consider what's next. If you're dreaming it up, what's going to be next for me and my career. And gosh, if everyone had that, that luxury of getting to focus really intently on what really wakes them up and builds in their spirit and motivates and, and inspires them, I think you'd have more people in roles that they, they would never, ever want to leave. So that's how I left Porter. Well, you know, that's, that's very, very yeah. interesting. And I, I really, really, and our listeners, I know, appreciate your candor because you know, I, I wasn't aware of that, and but now that I am, I guess my next question would be, and it's premised on on this. There are we all have setbacks, you know, things, stuff happens in life, and uh, it's not necessarily you know a straight line. You've had the honor of working with Porto Novelli like for 20 years. What what advice do you, can you give to people who do have setbacks? You know that where they can't get from A to B, you know, immediately. Particularly young people. What advice do you have for people who have aspiring careers and maybe do have some setbacks? What should they do? Well, you know, our, I think this is one of the most important parts of the conversation in, in terms of managing your own career. Setbacks do happen; they just do, and and they can feel devastating in a moment. But I first recommendation is take a deep breath, pause a little bit, really try to analyze what's going on. The greatest setback I, I actually have had, you would think it would be, you know, losing my job at Porter Novelli, but it was actually in 2006. I was with Porter Novelli. I was up for partner. There was 10 people up for partner. Five were selected. I wasn't on the list. And, you know, I felt devastated, but it was, you know, that was fine. Three months later, there was a a global head of the technology practice position, and uh, that was my number one job I always wanted in my career. And so it it looked good until I got the phone call from the then CEO who said, it's not you, it's, it's this other individual. I bring this up because my initial reaction is the reaction that I think many people have in this, in this profession. I instantly got a list together of people to call. I was going to go off and start my own agency. You know what? Be damned. I didn't get these promotions. I'm going to go off and strike it out on my own. Uh, I called up, you know, 30 potential partners, met them in person, built out a business plan. And I just, I, I paused long enough after that to say, am I unhappy here? Oh, and by the way, was the feedback that I was given because I didn't receive either of those promotions, was it accurate? And as it turned out, their feedback was dead on. 
I had a couple adjustments I needed to make. And I made them. And then, you know what? In 2007, I ended up becoming a managing director. Then shortly after, the global, the global technology practice leader. I mean, like, things can work out. But I think sometimes our, knee, our knee-jerk reaction is, I got to go take action. And maybe some of the best action we can take is some self-reflection. So I guess it becomes a matter of know thyself in, in many ways. You, you indicate that you learned some things about yourself during this process that you said, you know, they're dead on. That's probably not a very easy thing for people to do. You know, uh, I guess, you know, people are hurt, disappointed, you know, that they weren't promoted, you know, or put in the position that they coveted. So what, what can people learn from that about, you know, uh, introspection and, uh, you know, a, a deeper analysis of where, where they are and what they need to do? Yeah, I, you know, one of the things that it, it, this isn't right for everyone, but it's it's something that I've I've recommended to people in their career. I don't know what the right duration is, but I I sign up once every three years, and I sign up for like for a position, an organization, wherever I am, for about three years at a time, and I do so because in any position there are ups and downs, and things move quickly, and when you think about those moments that you were disappointed that you didn't get that promotion to VP or a supervisor or whatever, you know, maybe you really love the agency. Maybe you do have some reflection. Maybe there's some skills you have to develop. Maybe you need to talk to your, your manager or the head of HR to say, how do I acquire these skills so I can move up? But you may end up being on a great track after you navigate that little tiny setback, and it may put you on a faster trajectory than you were on before. You know, people end up seeing that you incorporated their feedback. And when that happens, you know, all of a sudden you get a new look. And so I, I do believe maybe setting yourself up to say, when do I consider moves and giving yourself a bit of a, a, a timeline because uh, – if we can avoid those kind of emotional decisions, I tend to find out the ones that are those decisions that are made made with with a real eye to saying what is the you know what's the wise decision for me and how do I consider what that looks like is much it's going to help your career I think a lot better because unfortunately Art you've seen it I've seen it I see the 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 resumes all too often that have so many hops on them. Right now, yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. so uncommon in the last, like, let's call it the last eight to 10 years. That's not as uncommon because I think we've gotten into a little bit more of an understanding that uh, today's mm-hmm. gen, gen looking for more um, different types of experiences. But when I see that many of hops from people that have 20 plus year careers, 30 year careers, I, it just, that to me is when I start digging in is were they leaving something versus going to something new? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the world has changed in that way, hasn't it? So how did you get into what you're doing now? Obviously, uh, you went from the agency side to, to, let's call it the talent side. So how did yeah. you get from there to here? What prompted you to do what you're doing now? Well, I, you know, it's, it's interesting because after I left Porter and Valley and I was really thinking about what was next, there was a number of uh, agency friends, let's call them. They were leaders of agencies that would call me up and they would just simply ask, hey, I'm, I'm creating a new incentive program. Do you mind taking a look at it? Hey, I'm thinking about selling my, my agency. Can you 
can you take a look at this? Hey, you know, I want to look at succession planning. And I did about five or six of those just as a friend, right? <laughs> With right. no consultant yeah. here. And maybe I'm a little slower than most because, you know, in the middle of, of one night, I woke up and I said, I've really enjoyed doing that. And, you know, there are awesome people doing that, like yourself, Art, that helps counsel uh, agency leaders. You know, certainly Alex Halberg, what he's doing at Prosper Group. And so I said, I want to set up this agency consultancy that I can help organizations really with their growth strategies or impact strategies. But then I also said, and their talent strategies. And, and it was there where I got, you know, brought in a partner, uh, Steve Mallison Jones, who's been doing this for 20 plus years, that really understands search and we could build out a whole full search capability and, and recruiting capability so that we could kind of be a full service consultancy for agencies and communications organizations. So what do you see now in the world of, uh, of search? I mean, the world has changed. Uh, the uh, pandemic, the coronavirus, the agencies uh, seem to be short on talent. So what are you seeing in terms of both the, the credentials, the, uh, the people who want to enter the public relations uh, profession, the shortage of qualified people? Um, give us some trends, to kind of some of the things that you're seeing, and maybe some advice for people who are looking for jobs. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds great. Let's start with first those coming into the profession, the, you know, the, the, the graduates, if you will. Art, I'm sure you see this too. I am blown away by the skills that these individuals have. You know, when I was coming out, we had to know how to pitch and write, you know, and, and that was, that was, yeah. that was going to get you at least on the track. And now yeah. today we have People are coming out, they have some sort of design skills, social media skills, they're still expected to write, they're still expected to be able to pitch and create a story, they're doing analytics, they're learning so much that, that applies to much more of a full, fully integrated campaigns and, and, and to bring a, a much wider and broader skill set than, than I think, you know, of 30 years ago, for sure. And they're so technology native as well. And so that whole, as, as things evolve, they're very quick to evolve with, with the changes and use these new tools in our profession. So I, I will say, you know, on the very positive side, those coming out today are as talented as I think we've ever seen, which is really, really a positive. On some of the shortage, I, I I'm concerned. I, I will tell you, some of the trends that we see on, on talent shortage side is people are dropping out of the, the agency profession a bit here. It's going to sound more anecdotal, but the truth is we are interviewing hundreds of candidates. And if we have a, a conversation with somebody who's in, in an agency, six out of 10 of those conversations start off with, if this is about an agency position, I'll pass. I'm looking for something in-house. There's this perception. Yeah. All right. Yeah. The perception art that that the grass is greener um, for those who are living within an agency setting right now. That you know, corporate is going to give me either a better culture or a, a better work-life balance. And you know, for those who work in corporations and in-house groups and lead comms, they'll tell you that they work really, really hard. But there's this perception that agencies, the to-do list never stop, and, and the pressures of billable hours and stuff are intense. So we're seeing people drop out, want to go in-house, 
or they're looking for, can I get to a culture that has more support for me as an individual with, with if I'm going to stay on the, on the agency side? There's some things that I think agencies can do, but I'll leave it just for, for now at this. Uh, and and there's, there's some other things that we as a profession need to do to bring in more um, quality candidates to our organization. You know, that, that's really interesting, Brad. I, uh, I was just thinking that, you know, when I started my career in public relations, one of my great skills was being able to, to pitch good story ideas. You know, I felt that it was a very creative thing to do, working with the media. And, of course, once you saw something in print or in broadcast, you know, you felt really proud of that accomplishment. But the the PR uh, profession has changed a great deal. I think agencies have, got, have, have gotten a lot bigger, obviously. The holding companies have played a major role in that. And it seems to be more about consulting and getting advice, you know, from PR agencies in addition to perhaps earned media. What's your take on that, uh, you know, the, the consulting role that uh, agencies now play? I mean, Corporations turn to agencies for advice and counsel in addition to just placing stories. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I think that's one of the greatest opportunities for our profession to have much more of a seat at the table. We, I think our profession has always been the conscience of, you know, the brand and, and organizations in terms of our, is this on values, off values? Is it on purpose? Is it not on our purpose? Does it align with our organization? Will we potentially have any risk here? We've played that role for some time, not always getting getting the credit for it, but now we're being brought in certainly much more on uh, as a business strategist, as uh, you know, a contributor to the bottom line, and how we will be able to influence not only attitudes and beliefs and behaviors, but also um, the sales side as well. So I. I think where this profession is in terms of its level of importance has only grown, and I think I think it, it, it puts a lot of pressure on on um, you know leaders in this in this uh, industry to always be fresh, always be delivering. But it, I, I don't think there's a better time to be in this industry than right this very second, especially how we've seen the reaction in a pandemic of how much additional emphasis and importance communication has been viewed internal communications employee engagement all i mean like this is really really at a time where we have really shined as an industry i, I believe you know brad uh working with a number of agencies as i do you know uh, primarily in the, i do some consulting but primarily uh acquisitions but I keep hearing, you know, kind of uh, war stories about how CEOs of, of a number of agencies have made some terrible mistakes, you know, the, in their own words, in hiring the wrong people, you know, the effect it, that those decisions have had on their, on their businesses. We may be among the best uh, communicators in the world, but sometimes we don't hire, you know, the way we should. What have you learned about, like, what steps need to be taken to, to, to at least somewhat uh, assure yourself that you're hiring the right person and uh, that uh, hopefully things you know, will work out. Are there steps that uh, CEOs of agencies are not taking to fully vet you know, the people that uh, they are thinking about bringing on? Yeah, you know, well, this is such an important topic. I, I see so often, you know, the speed to hire really is, is, is such a focus, right? But 
and, and there's such a concentration on skills, such a concentration on skills, which of course is really important, by the way, right? I mean, but one of the things that that I'm I'm surprised by and have been surprised over these last 15 months of working with so many different organizations that there's there's not as much emphasis placed on values alignment with a candidate. You know, every agency will will say, and every organization will tout its values, its principles, what, how we act and behave here, what's important to us here. Uh, and then there's the other element of we kind of know, and it's not always verbalized, who is successful in this organization, how one is successful. And, and, and conversely, we know what makes not a great hire, right? Those combination of questions don't get nearly asked as often as you think they would. Mm-hmm. The values-oriented mm-hmm. questions, you know, there, there tends to be many more questions on, have you done in your past what we're going to ask you to do in your future, right? And that's yeah, where the yeah. energy gets placed. And it's like, oh, well, this person has done it two or three times. They're going to do it great here. And the reality is, I would have, it's, it's interesting because I think that, you know, the Procter and Gambles and Unilateverse would not necessarily say, oh, we're just interchangeable parts. If you, you know, if, if we have a hole, just grab somebody from one of the others. And, you know, because there's something that is wired into the ethos of a company that helps that. So how many times have, have we seen in, in the industry somebody who's a true rock star, who leaves one organization and gets written up in PR Week and Provoke Media and PR Daily and you know com- all these different places have these these mentions of who just left and, and and joined somewhere else, and then we find out that that individual didn't make it there, and <laughs> I don't think that person's any less of a, of a rock star, just may not have been a gr- good fit a good fit for, for the individual based on the values of the organization, what, what makes a successful leader at that organization. There are nuances, but just, this, just relying purely on skills and competencies, in my opinion, is, is a little short-sighted. You know, one of the things I used to do, uh, Brad, when I, uh, you know, when I was the uh, CEO of uh, Lopes and Stevens back in the day, <laughs> was I used to uh, use uh, some psychological tests for people that we'd be considering to have uh, senior positions, you know, within the agency. And, uh, uh, in fact, I used to use something called Caliper. And, the, you know, he, the person who was interested in being uh, recruited by us uh, would, would, you know, would definitely uh, be willing to take the test. And uh, we learned a great deal about how that person would interact with other people, the person's decision-making uh, capabilities, and all of those kinds of things. And in some instances, you know, we rejected somebody based on what we learned from these tests. Is this something you've ever done or used? Uh, would you recommend, you know, that agencies do something like this? I've, I've seen this um, being used in various – among some of the clients that we have today. Uh, I think – any opportunity to gain more insight and more information is another data point that could be helpful in making a, a strong hiring decision. Uh, I do prefer tests like you're talking about or these kind of, you know, kind of tools that you're discussing. Some organizations are big on assignments and 
I could be fine with assignments. You know, from a concept perspective, I could be really supportive. My concern right now is that um, our industry is, is, is pretty flat out right now. It's, it's pretty burnt. There's, there's very few people that, that come into the, as a candidate that say that they're sitting on their hands. Most people are just really, really working hard right now. And so sometimes I'm not sure we're going to get the best quality assignment come out of that because they're doing it after hours or on the weekends after they've right. already you know, 50, 60 hours. And so are you getting the true perspective of what that individual is going to bring to your organization or their thinking? There's some debate on that. But your bigger point, Art, I agree with is, you know, these tools, whether they're assessments or, you know, um, you know assignments, those type of things, anything that helps us, especially with those most critical, you know, kind of positions that are going to have a lot of influence in an organization, touch a lot of your other employees. you got to get those right. Brad, just uh, switching uh, subjects for a moment, I, I, you, you've obviously been with a, a holding company. You had been for a number of years. What do you feel the role of the holding company is today in, in terms of its environment, and what effect has it had on agencies in general? Yeah, well, you know, from, from a, a pure holding company perspective, one of the things that I've always admired and i think you know every few years people start to say i don't know if the holding company model is going to hold up and i just disagree i I think one of the greatest attributes that a holding company brings is its scale its its reach the number of people it has the ability to mix and match teams there's so many great capabilities that a holding company has bring to the table to, to really execute on global uh, campaigns for multinational organizations, right? So, th- I mean, th- these are awesome elements. And and then when we start to think through holding companies with individual talent, like with, with their staff, the one thing that I would encourage as much as humanly possible is when we're talking with candidates that come out of, out of holding company agencies, they're often telling us and sharing with us, it feels like it's about the numbers. That's not for all of them. I don't want to, uh, you know, put that broad of a stroke on this, but but there's there's a, some feeling that it's about the numbers because these larger scale holding companies are publicly traded, and they will say that it it has an impact on the environment, the culture in which they're living in each and every day, and I think as much as humanly possible, it is a business, and and so from that standpoint, uh, in an hourly you know, rate model or even a project values-based model, you're still in a business. There has to be a way in which, which you know, whether it's a holding company or any agency for that matter, needs to be able to balance the we're in a business and we're building out a culture for you to grow, a culture for you to be in, in, inspired, a culture for you to be uh, aspired to your next level and, and have it have a, a people-rich flavor to it um, one that feels like it's investing in its people with professional development and other growth to really kind of anchor people in or, or at least protect from attrition. And right right now, I think it's a little wobbly. Brad, you're, you're obviously, given what you do, you're probably in, in touch with a lot of uh, agency CEOs uh, and, and corporate uh, communications officers as well. And I, I, I note from your bio that you're obviously in other industries as well, manufacturing and so on. Where do you think 
the uh, you know let, let's start with the agency world. You spend a lot of time in that. What do you think that uh, a CEO, particularly in, in the present day, needs to be sensitive to and uh, needs to be on top of in order to be as effective a CEO as he or she possibly can? And are, are you um, are, are are you referring to kind of leading an organization overall, or or in, as it pertains to kind of um, you know the great resignation or securing talent and motivating teams and that type of thing? Well, let's start with leading the organization. I mean, uh, one doesn't go to school to be a CEO. You know, you kind of climb the corporate ladder or the agency ladder, and suddenly you know there you are, as there you were. So let, let's let's personalize this a little bit, you know, uh, uh, and learn from your experience. Uh, when you became CEO of Porta Novelli, what, where did you think you needed to go further in in terms of being the best CEO you possibly could? Well, you know the 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 first thing is um, the finances and understanding truly the the financial side of the business. You get a lot of that. You know, you're managing P and Ls up and and along the way, but you tend to manage it within the agency context. And then all of a sudden you, you become CEO, at least in the case when you're at Porter Valley, you're influencing the numbers, overseeing the numbers, the business strategy and everything, and you're reporting into a whole group that you really may have not had as much interaction with before in terms of the holding companies, and that's a whole different ballgame. So I would, you know, some, some grooming there would have been great. The other thing that is just not kind of mentioned beforehand when when you become CEO, speed is like um, so critical. Everything feels like it takes longer to execute than you want it to. Hmm. Everything, right? The the and and the desire to you know get an organization with a sense of urgency goes up dramatically. And and it, it's it's interesting because. You know, not everything can move at at certain speeds, and you could, you know, really impact an organization from a negative perspective. You know, if you go too fast and make too many changes all at once, but that urgency um, is real when you're when you're uh, leading because you want to see all this kind of unfold. You want to see your business strategy unfold. You know, it's a three-year strategy or two-year strategy, or what do we have to do in year one on this? So it, that part, everything seems to take just slightly longer than you want it to. Um, and, and so really getting, I, I would have loved to have been stronger in that area um, to be able to, to push. And then not to be a, a, a surprise here, I think you also have to really lean into as a CEO, and this is not one of those things that is is necessarily coached beforehand, but what do you stand for? You know, as an organization, what are you all about? What are the values? And and those values truly get delivered from from the top. If 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 your your top of the organization is really living out the values, then everyone else kind of comes on board, and and it becomes the way we do things here, and and what's important here, and and those and it gives you a whole language to communicate with each other. But some of these things that they might feel a little soft, so they don't get nearly the amount of attention. I was fortunate um, that I had a, a lot of diversity training um, early in my career at, at Porter Novelli. I didn't feel as ill-equipped there, 
but I, I, I see, you know, from some CEOs, um, not just in agency world, but see CEOs outside of agencies um, that are just are, are kind of, you know, really learning for the first time of, of how, how to really embrace um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, how to embed it in, into the business so it's not just a standalone, that it is core to who you are as an organization. And, you know, and groups like the CEO um, Action for Diversity and Inclusion really help CEOs kind of get, get a great education, but there's, there's so many things. Um, we, thankfully, I didn't have to deal with supply chain stuff. I mean, but there's so many things that CEOs instantly are supposed to know across an entire organization that maybe they didn't have nearly as much exposure to on their way up. That's interesting. That's interesting. And, and that leads to my next, uh, my next question. Uh, I asked you about the role of the, of the CEO, you know, kind of learning how to do it because there is no real, you know, curriculum, you know, for it. But there is a curriculum for public relations in colleges and universities. Uh, the curricula for communications uh, has expanded greatly, and there are some colleges that are really noteworthy in, in their programs, Syracuse, City College of New York, and so on, Florida. What, what do you think that the uh, training in public relations is up to these days? Uh, do you feel that there are, there are areas that are not being taught that should be in colleges and universities? Do you think people are coming out uh, who aspire to be in public relations are getting uh, the right uh, direction, the right, uh, the right uh, curricula? Are there things that should be added, for example? Yeah, you know, this is a great a great question, and we've seen a lot of of cert, um, certificates being brought into the public relations field, which I think is a good way to address some of this. You see more of the universities and the PR programs in these colleges leaning into public affairs as a certificate, or you're seeing now a lot of public health and health communications as certificates. I think that's a really, really smart um, smart way of, of looking at things. Of course, several years back, you had the digital and analytics certificates, which were really, I think, important. One that, you know, with full disclaimer, the efforts that we're doing at Global Impact Relations Network, a, a, non, a nonprofit organization really designed to help communicators understand social impact and, how, and social impact strategies and how to embed that in communications. Um, we're we're in the process right now of working with universities on certificate programs because we, we do see that as more and more of um, brands and organizations are leaning into not just their brand purpose, but connecting that brand purpose into a, a broader noble cause and, and what they stand for and laying out their social impact and CSR objectives, that there's there's not always really good background in learning and education for this. And because we view it as communications, we go, oh, everyone can just do that. Well, it, it, it actually um, takes a little bit of understanding how to do um, social impact work well. And so I, I think that's an area you're going to see more colleges and universities put into their PR programs. You know, um, when I got my first job in public relations, I remember – uh, telling my dad, hey, dad, I, I, I got a job. I'm doing uh, public relations. And my father, of course, said, oh, that's wonderful, son. I'm so happy for you. 
tell me, what is, what is public relations? A lot of people didn't really know what public relations was all about back in the day. And, and, I, and I guess I ask you now, somebody who's obviously been CEO of a major agency and uh, obviously uh, uh, doing recruitment and, and talent hunting these days, do you think public relations is better understood these days than it was, let's say, back in the day? Oh, Art, I don't know. It's a mix um, because I, I, you know, hear people all the time. They're telling those same stories, but those individuals who are telling them are 22, 23 years old, telling their their parents that they're in public relations and they're hearing the same thing. Well, that's great. What is <laughs> right? So I think yeah. I think we still have a little bit of room to go. Often we're I think confused with merely crisis communications and um, or being publicists. So some of those perceptions of public relations, we, st- we still as an industry have an opportunity to help evolve that so people understand the full potential of what we're doing as communicators. And, and so I think it's getting better, but I think we still have more road to travel. Brad, do you think that the current coronavirus uh, crisis will change public relations as we know it today? Uh, obviously, we've seen changes in the way people work, but what's your sense now doing recruitment in terms of what changes do you think uh, the uh, crisis will have on it going forward? Well, I, I would say one thing that's really important, and that is we're, we're seeing the incredible importance of employee engagement internal communications. I cannot emphasize this enough, and, and, and this is another area, much like impact, you know, social impact, where there's a perception that, hey, as long as there's communicators um, and we're an agency of PR professionals, well, we can add, you know, this too. It's pretty easy, right? It's just employee communications. This is an area where, where there's a lot of expertise that is needed to do it really well. Uh, but I think the, the, the virus has put this absolutely on the map. And, you know, having the good fortune to work with a couple of organizations, agencies that specialize in employee engagement, you, you see their, their growth in the last 15 months, 18 months. It is incredible. It's spectacular. And, and I think the world kind of woke up to, hey, one of our primary stakeholder groups has to be our employee base. One, to retain them, but two, we also know that organizations are better when employees are fully engaged in what that business strategy is, what the mission is, and what the organization is trying to accomplish. And right now, there's so many people that are not engaged. And then to make it even tougher, so many people that aren't even in the office, right? So with that, I think it's it's going to change many things, not just how often people want to come into an office and how they want to interact. But I think this whole ad- additional area in concentration on employee engagement, which has been important, but has now a level of importance that we just haven't seen in our profession. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. I'm going to throw a question at you that maybe will make you win slightly because it's something that I want you to boast about. And that is, what are you most proud of in your entire career? And, and as part of that, what were you most proud of in your role as CEO of Porto Novelli? Oh, wow. Um, gosh, isn't that, isn't that a hard, isn't that a, a terribly hard question to answer? Tell you this was going to be easy, Brad. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Fair enough. 
Well, I'll tell you what I, I guess what I'm most proud of is is the people I engaged with along the journey. And and that is that is one of the things that has made me happiest and most proud is you see these these colleagues, these people that may have reported to you, maybe they were peers, whatever. And you see what they're doing today, the leadership positions they have, how they've grown as leaders, how they're how they're acting as leaders, and, and, and it, like it just fills me with with absolute joy. Um, these are really really great people, and that inspires me each and every day. And so uh, that is is easily that's consistent no matter where I've been. Um, it's been about the people and, and how people influence each other, right? And how much I've learned from them. And hopefully along the way, maybe I have shared one or two things as well. Um, the Porter Novelli um, in the role of CEO, that, that one's easier because, you know, the organization had this DNA that, that, that goes back to, to Jack Porter and Bill Novelli around being a social socially good agency, uh, you know, initially called a social marketing agency, taking marketing-based principles and apply them to the social issues of our time. And, and, and the, it's not that the agency lost its way. It's just that the agency grew through acquisition and suddenly was doing consumer and tech and, you know, financial comms, all these different elements. But, you know, and, and it was a, a sound agency, but, but you can tell the DNA from the organization was still there. And so, you know, through working with the holding company and, and great people, um, you know, not just at Omnicom PR group, but also, you know, an incredible leadership team at Porter Novelli, us taking a moment to say, let's get back. And, you know, re- repositioning the agency as a purpose communications consultancy and then taking the steps along the way, you know, merging in cone communications, one of the absolute standards for CSR, building out practice areas for purpose, making purpose not just a practice, then the whole entire company, and and really kind of coming out with so many different products and tools and approaches and seeing the whole organization rally around it. And, and you get an organization rallying that quickly when it's just right and it lines up to all the values of the organization and you just could tell it, it like it opened up a freedom for what attracted people originally originally to the organization that we were going to lean into this in such a way that 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 we hadn't maybe in the recent past and so you know i always hoped um that we were making uh, bill and jack proud um, because quite frankly um, what they did to found the company was, was in my opinion, nothing sh- shy of brilliant um, during the period of time that maybe not too many agencies in 1972 were thinking about social impact. Well said, well said. I have one final question for you, Brad, and I, I appreciate all of your insights and your candor, and I certainly know our listeners do as well. My final question to you this, this uh, day is, where do you see Brad McAfee in the years ahead? Well, you know, isn't it interesting that once you start getting more and more personal, the questions become harder to answer. And and, and we and right and I know me pretty well. <laughs> so so um, 
here's the here's the thing that I want to do, and 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 what I, I would, would love for mission and cause and all the people that that we're fortunate to have involved in the organization, we want to help influence this industry in a positive way. I truly believe that whether the agencies or individuals, if we can help in any small way, these these organizations or individuals reach their fullest potential. That to me will just set my heart on fire. If we can make a have a bit of influence on what diversity, equity, and inclusion looks like in this industry by helping to bring more really truly great, incredible BIPOC candidates to more organizations so we truly start to reflect the industry we want to be, that would be awesome. If we could help bring a spotlight to mental mental health in this industry, which I think is one of the major, major issues in which is causing people to say, I want to opt out. I either want to contract or I want to go in-house. If we can help folks understand, hey, we need to address mental illness, and not just mental illness, but mental health and well-being on the job, what that looks like, then, then I'm going to be pretty excited. And finally, if, if along this journey, we can help more and more communicators recognize the opportunities around purpose and impact for their own individual um, goals and aspirations or as an agency and the potential of communications, we'd be pretty excited. So we have three fairly lofty, I think, um, objectives in front of us, Art, that'll keep us busy for quite some time. But my hope is that we will play some small or at least some some bit of a role in helping influence in some way. Brad, this is why you are a PR master. You are so eloquent and right on target. And uh, I really thank you for your time today and uh, your, your insights and uh, your candor. So, Brad McAfee, on behalf of our PR Masters podcast listeners, Thanks a lot for sharing today, and I hope you'll come back again one day. So you are indeed a PR master, and thank you again. Thank you, Art. I appreciate it. This was a wonderful conversation. And I'd like to thank all of our listeners today for joining us. And uh, I am Art Stevens, your host, and I am managing partner of the Stevens Group, and I am now signing off. See you soon with the next PR Masters podcast. Take care, everybody, and have a great day.